Well, good morning, church. Uh, it is so good to have you here with us. Uh, wherever you're dialing in from or listening from, uh, it's so good to be able to come together and just open up God's word today. Uh, let me just quickly pray for us as we start, because uh, I reckon God has something he wants us to hear this morning. So Lord, we just uh, we ask you this morning, Lord, that you just uh, give us a moment for pause, give us a moment to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, speak loudly and clearly to us this morning as a church and as individuals. And we just pray that we'll be spurred on um, as we dig into your word and as we open it up together. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So now, I don't know about you, but I am not a fan of dress up parties. I, I mean, some of you guys are probably huge fans, but we do them a lot at work. We literally do dress ups for anything, like in financial years, someone gets promoted, you know, we win a big job. We do that for everything. And it's just so much effort. And it, to me, it's just so stupid. Like, why would we go out of our ways to buy a costume that costs like $50? And then next thing you know, you're in a shark onesie because it's under the sea themed and having a conversation with someone dressed as a pirate, which by the way, isn't even under the sea. There's just so much effort. It's like, why, why do we even do it? You know, when I step back and I think about it, so some, I understand why some people put so much effort into it, right? Like they do group costumes. Because I think on the whole, we probably enjoy as humans to make a big deal out of occasions, don't we? There's something about throwing a huge party or a huge celebration, dressing up and just marking the occasion. We love taking these defining and pivotal moments of shared experiences that are worthy of celebration and making our mark on it, making a huge deal of it. See, it's one of these moments when we get to chapter 12 in Nehemiah. The Israelites have definitely hit this defining and pivotal moment in their history. For the first time in a long time, they are in their city and with a war that's intact. It's a ribbon cutting moment for them. They're at this point where their biggest accomplishment for the last generation is now done. But see, it's also so much more than just a war for the Israelites. Their war and their city is rebuilt, right? We need to understand the history that got them to this point to truly understand the gravity in which this moment has for God's people. So I just want to spend a moment to recap how they even got to this point. See, the last time they were here in a complete Jerusalem wars and city intact was a generation ago. And unfortunately, it was a moment of ego and pride and godlessness for the Israelites who turned to themselves for defense, uh, that they were essentially saying to God that, hey, we don't need you anymore for our defense. And it was a moment where all these prophets were desperately trying to tell the Israelite people that God is going to let them have what they want, that God is going to step back and let them go at it themselves. And that's exactly what happened. So when the Babylonians eventually came, just as the prophets said they would, they didn't only destroy a city and its walls, as devastating as that is in and of itself. No, they destroyed the fundamental symbols and identity of Israel as a nation. They destroyed the place who de which defined who they were. They destroyed their identity, their place in the world, the temple that's their God's dwelling place, who they foolishly thought they no longer needed. To the Israelites, this quite literally tore their nation and their identity apart. 
And so now, flash forward back to Nehemiah, they're back. And it was a long time coming, right? It took 70 years all up to get to this point for the city and the war. The closest I can think of is like the Sydney light rail, which was promised to us when I was in high school. And it felt like 70 years before they got it done. But for Israel, it was an actual 70 years, not only of hard work rebuilding a city under the worst of circumstances, but also of work in their hearts as a people, as they tried to once again be reconciled to God, to quite literally have been brought back from ruins into a new city. It was a moment of absolute triumph and victory for them. This was their moment to dress up, to crack the champagne, to start the after party. But you know what? Nehemiah had something different in mind. So come with me to verse 27 in Nehemiah 12. It says, At the dedication of the war of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the war. See, this wasn't just a party. Nehemiah had this war, this war that wraps around Jerusalem, that wraps around Israel's identity as a people, their land, their God's dwelling place, this whole structure that was meant to keep them safe and secure, that all of this would be dedicated to God. Nehemiah, in this moment, recognizes the need for God for Israel, that Israel is no longer going to be a nation that relies on themselves. So the purpose of this dedication, right, is to set it apart, to set this whole perimeter around the city apart to God. It's a statement that every part of their lives needs God for their defense. And guys, this wasn't a run-of-your-mill Christmas party, right? This wasn't even like an Olympics Games uh, closing ceremony. Nehemiah goes all out with this dedication. And there is actually just so much here. I think it's important we try to understand the magnitude of this dedication and this celebration, which is one that's required to match the magnitude of this moment in Israel's history. So verse 31, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the Dung Gate. Hosiah and half of the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshlam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachar, the son of Asaph and his associates, with musical instruments prescribed by David, man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of the David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens of the, to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jashana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I together with half the officials, as well as the priests. And I'm gonna skip the names because I'm gonna butcher them with their trumpets their choir sang under the direction of Jezreel. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. 
the women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. See, what Nehemiah did was bring hundreds, if not thousands of people along for this dedication. At one point, along the bottom of the wall, they were all gathered and they would walk up these steps that aren't particularly wide uh, to the top of the wall and essentially making this procession that would last hundreds of meters. Now, when they got to the top of the wall, right, they divided into two great choirs, one going one way with Ezra and one going the other way with Nehemiah leading from the back. Uh, here's a detailed map our city group drew of the Jerusalem Wars uh, for your reference so you can truly understand the magnitude of this dedication. This procession going along both sides of the wall would go south to the Dung Gate, it would go through the Fountain Gate, then the Watergate on the east, basically through and around the entire city. They would have been singing praises to God, songs of thanksgiving, speaking of God's faithfulness to Israel, a God who kept his promise and brought them back after 70 years. These songs of praise would have been echoed by cymbals and harps and lyres and trumpets following in this procession. Uh, this dedication of a war, this huge event, an acknowledgement of how much they needed God and literally everything they had is God's. This would be heard around the whole city. As I walked around, there is no part of this city that wouldn't have seen the procession, that wouldn't have heard the procession. And I love this bit. Where did they choose to end this procession? They end it in the house of God, in the new temple. This dedication ends at the place where God dwells. And there they sang, they rejoiced, they gave sacrifices, and this joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Church, this dedication reflects the fact that the work for Nehemiah wasn't done and finished at the wall and at the city. The city and wall building was done, sure, but now starts a work of nation and heart building. So Nehemiah's heart and what he ultimately did was to bring people back to God, to see them reconciled with God. He wants to see passionate worship. He wants to see these huge displays of thankfulness uh, that would set Israel apart from all the other nations. Their singing and their songs of praise to God means that thankfulness is what defines them as a people. That's why they worship and they acknowledge and they celebrated this grace and mercy that God has shown them on the city walls. It's a declaration to the rest of the nations around them. See church, when we dedicate something to God, when we set apart something to God, when we do it truly, we recognize the need for God and show a complete dependence on him. And that naturally comes surrounded by praise and worship. And so I want to pause and ask you a question here. When was the last time you dedicated something in this way, in this completely over the top, uh, all in sort of way? You know, when we say we dedicate our lives to Christ, do the nations outside see a difference? Do people see a difference? When we say we dedicate our home, our families, our work, our careers, is that a dedication from our heart where we say, God, this is my life, take it and use it as you will? Or is it a bit of a false dedication where we ask him to bless decisions that maybe we've already made? See, I think those are important questions for us to ask because what we see here is that true dedication comes hand in hand with true worship and praise. 
Like think about how much work it would have been to put this procession together. Think about all the people they had to reach out to to form this great choir. They had to gather all the priests, instruments, singers from around the region, all to this one point to participate in this procession of thousands of people. Like think about how many rosters that would take. Think about the level of effort that involved. But when we truly understand the magnitude of what God has done for us, like Nehemiah did, it's only then can we respond with an equal amount of magnitude and praise and a wholehearted level of worship for our God. That would still not quite be worthy of it all. In verse 43, right back at the end of this dedication at the temple, Nehemiah says this, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Friends, the ability for us to rejoice in God comes from God. It comes from our understanding of his mercy, grace and provision that results in a worship and joy in our hearts. For the Israelites back then, uh, back in chapter 9, as the Levites preached, which James took us through last week, verse 5 says, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And this chapter 9, it's an incredible sermon. This sermon essentially recounts every single aspect of God's nature and his providence for the people of Israel. Uh, stuff we read about in the accounts when we go through books like Joshua, and that we know people are prone to forgetting. Right, so in verse 6 of chapter 9, they declare him to be God the creator. And then 7 to 8, they acknowledge him that God gave us his promise, that he made this covenant with Abraham. And then they praise God from saving them from slavery, freeing them from Egypt, leading them into the promised land. And then verse 16 onwards, it's this recount of this ongoing biblical narrative of God's people being sinners and desperately needing redemption. And then God being gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, not only spares them, but time and time again, builds them up into a nation, making their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky, bringing them once again into the land that they were supposed to take possession of. When I think about it, you know, when these Israelites were watching the procession on top of the wall, when they could hear all the instruments and the singing, they must have had the words of Jeremiah 29, 10 on their hearts, thinking God is so faithful. He keeps his promises. Jeremiah 29 says this, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, the starting point of dedication is praise. And then the starting point of praise is remembering God's faithfulness. In this moment, they had this beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. And not only that, a faith that's supposed to bring them a future and a hope. How good is that? How can the Israelites' response not be to declare faithfulness across the whole city and sing so loud that other nations will hear them from, away, from far away, that they would hear their declaration of God's faithfulness and greatness in the face of the Israelites' fears, trials, and opposition? In this moment of thanksgiving, they realize 
God's plans are for us. Like James said last week, the word demands a response. And the word is the one that enables a response. And that's absolutely true in this case, right? So then, what's our response now? As we all dial in from different parts of Sydney. We want to gather large choirs to sing praise and worship, but COVID means we can't. We want to see God at work, right? We want to go out and evangelize and see people come to know him, maybe do another love chat. But because of COVID, it means we can't. Friends, if you're anything like me, you're probably getting really, really frustrated. We're 18 months into this pandemic, weeks into this lockdown in Sydney. It just seems like every good idea, every thought, every milestone, every plan, every dream that we've had ends with, but COVID. It just feels disappointing, doesn't it? It's not really a mood to dress up and celebrate. And I know for some of us, it's even worse. Some of us, this means that we're unsure of where we're going to be living or working. For some of us, we don't know if we can go overseas or even interstate to see our family and friends again. We don't know when we can meet again in person as a church. I miss it. Yeah, even something like my last Insta post, right? Because we only post good things on the internet was May 2020. And I had this picture of a cafe in Warunga with the caption reading, happy restrictions easing exclamation mark so much optimism and just so premature since then i've posted nothing and i'm gonna hazard a guess that we're all feeling a little bit like that right now but you know what though church lessons from the bible would tell us that it's not about but covid it's but god god fulfills his promises and he will bring us to a new Jerusalem. His plans are good for us. He is the one who gives us a future and hope. How do I know that? Well, it's really seeing and hearing about all of you, our church, this this war of ours. See, despite not being able to meet together on Sundays in Chatswood, we are still a church. Thank God church isn't a building, right? We are a church of faithful, loving, caring, nurturing people, sustained by God the Creator. We still want to keep building this community that welcomes people in, that loves each other, that is uh, nurturing and caring um, on nights that aren't trivia nights. I'm kidding. We still see people praise God at our city groups for his provision throughout the week, for those hard meetings at work, for tough periods homeschooling, or for those little moments of joy because we now have time to play PlayStation with our brothers. We still see people desperately wanting to live out lives that are reflective of our identity as children of God. We still are a people affected by the word of God, challenged to respond. Guys, we see God at work as he keeps bringing us along this journey of transition for our church as we head into this next season, right? Think about the year we've had and what God has done in our church through this year. You know, when we had that period of home churches, God used that to build such deep and immense relationships that are serving us now in this period of lockdown. When we were able to meet together in Chatswood, God used that to bring this incredible community together in unity as people stepped up to serve, took on things that are outside of their comfort zone, 
maybe even man the AV desk. And he brought in so many new people that we've welcomed in into this church that God is growing and sustaining. How good is that? I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. So church, when we know that, if there's one thing, I think, in this moment for our church that God wants us to do, I think it's to get louder, to once again remember him and what he's done for us in our church and in showing endless grace in our own personal salvation. That this would spur us on in thankfulness and cause us to praise him endlessly. See, I think he wants us to bring the choir now, to celebrate on this wall we're building now and dedicate it now. Because his intention is for us to live lives that declare him to our neighbors, wherever we are and in whatever circumstance, where our identities are defined by thankfulness. And I actually think right now we have this amazing opportunity to respond and dedicate that response to God, to be able to respond in hope and in optimism and in praise and thankfulness, rather than joining in this sort of choir of despair that kicks up in the city every day at 11 a.m to live out our faiths in this full knowledge of God and what he did for us when Christ was hung up on that cross and what God continues to do for us as he sustains us in this church. See, I, I can't help but think that in a period like the one that we're going through now, it's easy for us to fall into a bit of a lie that because we aren't doing things perfectly, or at least seemingly perfectly, because we aren't doing things the way we imagined or pictured it. You know, we, it doesn't look like the praise and worship that we were planning for the year, that somehow it's not worth doing and it's not worth dedicating it to God. That for some reason, because our Sundays feels like it lacks the banter over coffee and the energy that it used to have, or maybe that city groups don't feel as tight as they used to be, that all of that is no longer worthwhile. So no longer worth doing. Church, God doesn't need our performance. Dedication is about bringing whatever we have in whatever state to God, trusting that he is going to be the only one who can sustain and to work through it. It's really about the posture of our hearts. And I think maybe what we don't realize is that our hearts and the foundation of our faiths are on display in everything that we do as a community even when it's hard. See, when you turn on your camera on a Sunday Zoom, you remind someone of the unity in the community that we have, declaring Christ. When you sing or you lead worship, even though it's awkward over a Zoom call, you remind us of what a great choir sounds like. And you're literally leading a procession of loud praise for our God that's faithful on this wall. When you join your city group on a weeknight and study the word of God, maybe you share about the worst week you've ever had. Maybe you're just fighting to stay awake, to stay focused for the night. You're reminding your group of a dependence on God and your desire to hear him speak to us over and above everything else that the world's throwing at you because he is the only one who can sustain us. When you dial in on a Sunday, maybe from bed five minutes after waking up, because that's all you can muster for a week. 
That's a demonstration of your faith and discipleship that edifies the rest of us. Church, what we do now is not subpar and it is not unworthy of dedication to God. If anything, it's what we do now in the midst of this strange type of opposition that we're facing that shows our heart and that defines us as a community of believers. Church, let me finish with a passage from Hebrews 10 because the Bible can say it exponentially better than I ever could. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is the body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Church, we might not be able to meet in person together right now, but we can for sure sing and praise and worship. So we're gonna end in song today. It's, it seems like the only appropriate response after going through Nehemiah 12. So church, camera's on. Let's sing a little louder from the top of this wall, that's our church. And let your neighbors hear your joy from far away, yeah? Let's go.